Coming up on today's show is my first live podcast in over a year and a half. It is crazy to say that. I'm going to be live on Facebook talking about, well, if you're listening to this on the download, it's already happened. But if you're listening live on Facebook, it's happening right now. Also, is a extra portion of this that you'll hear on the download, I'll be interviewing actress Stephanie Bloom. All that and more on today's episode of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, which starts right now. Hello and welcome to this special live edition of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. As I said in the intro, this is the first podcast I've done live since July of 2018, which is kind of crazy to say, and I'm not going to lie, I'm a little bit nervous about this. One, I haven't done a live show in so long. Two, as most production goes, you test, you test, and you test some more. And everything was working fine this morning. I get home from work, try out some things, and everything's gone to crap. But we're going to get through it. Uh, Dylan Bush and Brandon Allen Purdue and my Aunt Joe are in the chat. So thank you guys for joining. Yeah, so we're going to get through it. And this is a test run. As you can see on the video version, I've got a cool new layout that I'm doing. Um, hopefully doing a live show every month, if not every other month. One reason is we have baseball season vastly approaching or quickly approaching, I should say. And I don't want to go on summer break again because it killed a lot of the momentum that my show had built up after changing the format around this time last year. And it still hasn't quite recovered from it, if I'm being honest. So I wanted to come up with something to keep doing shows, even if it's something like this, you know, where I might have a friend on and we'll do a movie review live. You know, I, I do love uh, Danny Doe is in the chat. He says, hey, Mayor Diamond. Hey, Danny, thank you for watching. So, yeah, we're going to see what happens with that because, you know, it's really tough to do interviews and really just do podcasts in general during baseball season. And that's one reason why I stopped doing it during the summer. So. That will be something that could very well happen in the near future. I, I like doing live shows. You know, I've, I've missed the prep of doing it. And this is easily the most prepped I've been for a live show from a technical aspect. Because, let's see. Anna, I have so many opinions about so many things. Um... Well, we'll have to see if you um, if you go see any cool summer movies, then I guess that would qualify you to come on the show. So, plus I don't think you've been on since we did the Hamilton Roundtable, if if I'm not mistaken, which God feels like a lifetime ago. So anyway, what I'm going to be doing during the show, and I know we're already a little bit into 2020, and a lot of the best of 2019, best of the decade lists have already happened. So I'm a little late to the party on that, but. There were a couple of movies that I still wanted to see before I did my top 10 list for 2019. And it's funny because my perspective on movies has changed quite a bit in the last year or so. I feel like ever since I started taking film and filmmaking seriously is deciding, okay, 
I've talked about doing it for a long time, and then I actually did it. It gave me a new perspective on film and what it takes, what goes into making it and the process behind it and really appreciating little nuances about movies as opposed to just saying, oh, you know, there was a Star Wars movie that came out, so that was my favorite movie of the year or whatever big Avengers or Marvel movie came out. And, you know, both of those movies may or may not make my list. You're about to find out in just a second, but my perspective has changed a lot. And I feel like my taste in movies has grown quite a bit over the last year or so. So I think, you know, it, it was really tough putting this list together. I thought it was going to be fairly easy, but I wrote down the movies that I really liked this year. And of course there were more than 10, so I had to narrow it down. It was actually really tough. I was sitting here a couple of nights ago and I was like, okay, I know what my number one is for sure. But from there, it was really a crapshoot. Like there were movies that I really wanted to put on this list, but just missed out on the cut. But I'll, I'll list honorable mentions before I get to my number one. So, um, yeah, my, my uh, watch is blowing up here. So I guess we'll just go ahead and dive right into it. So um, these are my personal top 10 favorite movies from 2019. And Jeff Childers of First Circus fame has joined. Hello, Jeff. Thank you so much for watching. So we're just going to dive right into it. I, I'm What I'm going to do, and, and this is really cool. I've tested this guy I don't know how many times, so it probably won't work, but hopefully it will. I've, I've downloaded this new software called OBS, and through that, I can actually play clips from movies, uh, sound bites, things like that. So it, it's, it's, really, it's, it's a really cool software. Stuart Roberts has joined. Hello, Stuart. Thank you so much for watching. I've actually got people watching. This is really cool. So we're just going to go right into it. Here is, and I really hope this works. This is my number 10 of my favorite movies of 2019. My boy. I have been every voice you have ever heard inside your head. My number 10 is Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. And yeah, you knew I had to put Star Wars on my list at some point, but a lot of people might be surprised that it's my number 10. Uh, Austin Jackson and my mother, Donna Diamond, have joined. Thank you guys for watching. So Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker is my number 10, and you might be a little bit shocked that it made it that low on my list. I very much enjoyed the movie. It was... A cool experience, you know, it's the last movie of the Skywalker franchise, so even after the controversy of The Last Jedi, and some of that I think undeservingly so, expectations were still pretty high because how do you, how do you sum up arguably the greatest story ever told on film? How do you surmise nine movies and provide a satisfying conclusion? to all of them. So there were high expectations going in, and they brought J.J. Abrams back after Colin Trevorrow left the film. And I thought, for the most part, it was a good movie. It was not a great movie. 
I really enjoyed it the first time I watched it, but that was purely the fanboy in me that was watching it that first time. And the second time I watched it, I really looked at it more from a, okay, how is this as a movie? And a lot of the stuff I really like, but I felt like they played it a little bit too safe with some of the story. And I feel like they kind of caved in a little bit as far as fan pressure and, you know, not wanting to do something drastically different like Ryan Johnson did with The Last Jedi, which I, I think was a mistake because I actually really liked that movie. I mean, you know, Star Wars really needed a... It needed a shot in the arm that The Last Jedi gave it. And it, Rise of Skywalker didn't necessarily retcon The Last Jedi, but it felt completely different. You know, when this trilogy is looked at 10, 15 years from now, I think The Force Awakens is going to be looked at as a knockoff of A New Hope, or at least a modern version of it. And the last, the last Jedi, I think, will be more appreciated for trying something different. Like I said, there are things I really like about Rise of Skywalker. There are things that I didn't like about it. But I think the thing that I like the most, and I, I won't spoil it for those who still haven't seen it, but I, I nailed the ending of the movie. I predicted it almost in a scary sense. You know, I, I know when they revealed the last location... I looked at Adam Waldron, who was with me, and I was like, am I going to be right? And the reason why Ray was there, I didn't know, but pretty much everything else about it, I got right. And it, it freaked me out because I've never gotten anything that right before. And I probably never will again, so I'm not going to predict anything else that happens with movies. So that is my number 10. Let's go to number Nine. And you're late. What? You're late. And it was traffic. Yeah, it's traffic. <laughs> Wasn't it traffic? Yeah, give me it traffic. traffic. What do you what, what do you want from us? It was bumper to bumper. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's uh, it's bad, you know. Traffic. I never waited for anyone who was late more than ten minutes in my life. I'd say fifteen. Fifteen's right. No, ten. Number nine is The Irishman, which was a Netflix exclusive directed by Martin Scorsese. I've never been the biggest Scorsese fan. You know, I really like The Departed. The Departed is one of my, like, arguably top ten favorite movie of all time. And I do respect him as a filmmaker. So when this was announced, the thing that intrigued me the most was the use of the de-aging technology, which is really improved dramatically over the last, I'd say, five years. It worked great in this movie. It worked really well in the last Terminator movie when they de-aged Linda Hamilton and Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's, the technology is awesome, and the de-aging facial-wise was really well done for Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, and Joe Pesci, and it was great seeing those three together especially Joe Pesci because he hasn't been in a movie in a long time and I, I thought he really stole the show in this movie but my two biggest gripes with it and why it's not higher I love the story because it's almost like a love letter to those old gangster movies that Scorsese made in his prime but it's really really long 
It's three and a half hours long, and I had to break this up into sections. I dedicated a night to watching it. I watched about an hour, hour and 15 minutes of it, took a break, cooked dinner, and then finished the rest of it. Good movie, but I felt like it really didn't need to be that long. My other knock on it is partially with the de-aging. So there, there's a scene in the movie when Robert De Niro goes into this um, almost like a grocery store or a convenience store on a corner, and he drags this worker out on the street and just beats the crap out of him. The problem is, yeah, De Niro looks like he did 20, 30 years ago, but he still moved around like an old man. And that really kind of took it out of the movie for me. So uh, great acting. Like I said, I thought all three, De Niro, Pesci, and Pacino, did really well. It was great seeing De Niro back in that serious role as opposed to the comedy roles he's been doing over the last several years. Really good movie, great filmmaking accomplishments, but a little too long for my taste. If you if you like Scorsese movies, you'll like it, but just be prepared to uh, to make dinner beforehand because it's gonna be it's gonna be a while. Let's see. Um, Emily Dillon has joined as well as Tyler Huffman and Raymond Sotulio. Thank you, guys. Uh, Emily Dillon says she didn't even know I did these. Well, this I know you just joined. This is the first one I've done as far as a live show goes in a year and a half. So hopefully you will see more. Um, as, Anna, as far as where to get the technology, you'll, you'll have to ask Mr. Scorsese. I, I'm not aware of that. Uh, and Rhonda Marshall has joined as well. So again, thank you guys so much for watching. This is really encouraging as far as wanting to keep doing these live shows. But let's move on to, well, this one's a little inspired by Scorsese, and you'll know it if you've seen the movie. But this is my number eight. <laughs> is it just me? Or is it getting crazier out there? My number eight is The Joker, directed by Todd Phillips. This movie was intriguing from the very beginning because dating back to The Dark Knight with Heath Ledger, no one ever thought that performance would ever be matched. Then we read that Joaquin Phoenix was going to be cast as The Joker. And Joaquin Phoenix is a little strange in his own right, so everyone was like, oh, he'll be perfect for that role. And then the first trailer came out, and I was almost in a trance watching this movie because it, it reminded me, it felt like a very 70s-ish era type of movie. And that, at least being the first one of my knowledge, comic book movie being based solely off of a villain was really intriguing. And the Joker is one of the most intriguing characters not just in comic books, but to me, film in general, because he's the perfect antithesis of his counterpart, which is Batman. Batman represents order. The Joker represents pure chaos. So to see a different interpretation and one that I knew would be better than the one we got with with Jared Leto and Suicide Squad, from the very beginning of this movie, I was just absorbed in it. And this movie, if you have not seen it, there's no real 
bright spots or redeeming quality about it. And what I mean when I say that, this movie is just depressing from the very, very beginning. There's no ray of sunshine. There's no glimmer of hope. This is just an excellent account of one person's descent into madness. And that was insane. It's a movie that I don't know that I'll ever watch it again, but I'm glad that I did because I understand the historical significance of it. And I think there's a very good chance that Joaquin Phoenix will win the Oscar for Best Actor. You know, I, I have to look at the list again, but I, I really think that he could do it. I don't want to give it a guarantee. Like, I don't know if that's going to be my prediction, but if I were on the Academy, I would vote him. But it, it's it's still it's still a very enjoyable movie for the historical sense. It reminds me a lot of Taxi Driver that starred Robert De Niro. Ironically, Robert De Niro is in this movie. My only gripe with it, and this is kind of getting into a little bit of spoiler territory, it seemed like at the very end the filmmakers remembered, oh, we have to link this to Batman. And it ends with Thomas and Martha Wayne getting murdered in the alley next to the movie theater. And you just see little Bruce Wayne standing over them while the Joker is embraced who he is and he's causing all this chaos and turmoil in Gotham City. So that, that kind of took me out of the movie a little bit because... I felt like it was a great standalone story, and I really hope that they don't make a sequel to it. And I know that they probably will, but I think if they're going to do these villain stories, they need to be standalone, one-off movies. Like, I, I think a Mr. Freeze story would be fantastic if they want to keep in with the with the Batman universe. But let's move on to my number seven. You're so merged with your own selfishness you don't even identify it as selfishness anymore every day i wake up and i hope you're dead dead like if i can guarantee henry would be okay i'd hope you get an illness and they can hit by a car and die my number seven is marriage story written and directed by noah baumbach I'm not going to lie, when I first saw the trailer for this movie, I thought, wow, I didn't know Black Widow and Kylo Ren had a kid. That's just the nerd in me talking. But this had some of the best acting that I have seen in a long time. So this is a story about um, Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson's characters. Um, Adam Driver is a theater director in New York. Scarlett Johansson is a, um actress on or not on Broadway, but in theater for her husband's plays. And she's from Los Angeles, was an actress at one point. But she decides that she wants her own life, so they end up getting a divorce. But the problem is they also have a kid that they have to, you know, that they have to factor in with this whole thing. Now, I don't, I've never been through, like, my parents are still married, so I don't know what going through a divorce is like. But I think the raw emotion from this movie is what made it, especially from Adam Driver. And the clip I played is actually from what you would arguably call the climax of the movie, where they're just having this huge blow-up fight with each other. And just the emotion in it is so raw. You, like, you feel 
the raw hatred that they have for each other. And I'll be honest, after watching this movie, it made me in zero rush to get married. Not knocking anyone who is married or engaged, but after seeing that, I'm just thinking. And the thing is, it's not even really a tragic story because it actually ends on a positive note. But yeah, it's... I would love to chat with someone at length who is married, who's seen this movie, because I'd really love to compare perspectives with this. You know, I don't know if being married and watching it makes you feel different than if you're not. But it's really, really powerful stuff, really powerful writing. Adam Driver, to me, it would be down between him and Joaquin Phoenix for Best Actor. So... Um, yeah, that's my number seven. You can actually watch this movie on Netflix. It's very, very good. And Laura Dern, who I think is probably going to win Best Supporting Actress for playing, I can't remember her character's name, but she plays a divorce attorney. She's very, very good in it. Uh, and if she wins it, it's very deservedly so. Let's see, we have Claire Paul and Keith Hellebrand who have joined. Thank you guys so much for watching. Now we're going to move on to... Number six, which I believe is the most recent entrant into this list. Number six. Is that our friends again? Looks like it. Dogfight. Who's winning? Us, I think. They got him. My number six is 1917, directed by Sam Mendes. This I saw actually just a couple of weeks ago in the theater, and I was really looking forward to this movie from when Adam Waldron first told me about it. And I was really researching the behind-the-scenes aspect of it because he told me that this whole movie was shot in one continuous take. And I was just like, what? Because, you know, filming the Parker Syndrome, we did a one during one of the scenes, and that was like a two- or three-minute scene, and even that in itself was a challenge. So I couldn't imagine shooting a whole movie as one continuous take. And clearly there, there are cuts. If you know where to look, you can see certain spots where you're like, okay, they probably cut there. But watching the behind-the-scenes footage, so there, there's, there's a shot in the trailer of the Schofield character jumping out of his bunker, running from one side to the other, because he knows that's going to be the fastest way to do it. And this, is, this wall of soldiers is running behind him. You can watch as these two people take the camera off the crane, run backwards, and then put the crane in a truck. It's mind-blowing how this movie was made. And it's it's shot beautifully, the acting is really good. The score is great. The visuals are insane. How they pulled all this stuff off with plane crashes, gunfights, its explosions, all of it was just a huge cinematic accomplishment. And I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head, but this movie should without a doubt get Best Cinematography at the Oscars. It should almost be in its own category. They should do a Best Winner. You know, if, if they ever decide to do 
you know, maybe not just whole movies like this, but if they do like extended scenes that are one take, do a best one or award. I, I think that would actually be really cool. But yeah, 1917, really good. It's still in theaters as I'm recording this. If you haven't seen it, definitely go watch it. I'm hoping that it's available in IMAX because I'd love to see it you know, in, in that format. IMAX just makes things so much better. Let's see. Next we have, we're actually getting into the top five of my list. So here we are at number five. Why's it got so many colors in it, man? What is this? That's the thing. They say you can see the whole universe in opals. That's how f***ing old they are. Holy shit. I've been telling you. That's why I want you to see it. Yo, that's crazy, man. From stone to stone. Garnet to stone. You know, man. That's a million dollar opal you hold. Straight from the Ethiopian Jewish tribe. My number five is Uncut Gems, starring Adam Sandler. Growing up... I'm not going to lie, I was a huge fan of Adam Sandler's movies. I love Happy Gilmore. It's still probably my favorite movie he's ever done. And we have Luke Thompson and Holly Rawls joining. Thank you guys for watching. So Joey Trincali is the one who really sold me on this movie. So Adam Sandler essentially plays a character who has a little bit of a gambling problem. He runs a jewelry store. And he wheels and deals his way to get money to make bets on basketball games. And he's just constantly on his phone making deals and getting his, his you-know-what out of hairy situations. And his acting was just so good because it's completely different than what you would think from Adam Sandler. And he's done a couple of serious movies in the past but nothing like this. And I was just blown away by his performance. Like to me, this is a very performance driven movie and he is at the centerpiece of it. And this movie feels like if you have a problem with claustrophobia and just constant noise and constant things going on and constantly feeling uneasy, this is probably not the movie for you because it's just constant Adam Sandler talking and dropping curse words. You heard in the clip, I could not find a clip that did not include cursing in it because there's just that much in this movie. This is, this is a pretty hardcore movie. And I'll even say Kevin Garnett, for playing Kevin Garnett, did a fantastic job. You know, I, I wasn't expecting to actually enjoy his segments of the movie, but I very much did, and they're very important parts of the movie. So... Um, Uncut Gems, really, really good movie. Um, were it not for the top four, this would definitely be even higher. So let's see if anyone else. Um, Jeff Childers' Shampoo is better. Anna, okay, but how excited are we for the worst movie ever now? Yeah, I think that's a thing. Adam Sandler said that if Uncut Gems wasn't nominated for an Oscar, he was going to make the worst movie of all time as Revenge. I think whenever that happens, that's going to be my most anticipated movie of the year. I, I, the, the, I can't even talk straight. How this movie was not nominated for anything is nuts. You know, I, I thought at least he would get nominated for Best Actor. Maybe I wasn't expecting Best Picture for Uncut Gems, but I thought he would at least get a Best Actor nod, but... Unfortunately, that didn't happen, but 
Oscar discussions, that's going to be saved for another podcast. So here is my number four. Avengers Endgame is my number four, and it, it still still makes me a little emotional hearing that line. Um, this was... The Marvel Cinematic Universe leading up to this became something more than just movie-going. It became an event because it revolutionized the way that stories are told. They took the episodic format of television and made it work with movies because I believe there were 21 or 22 movies leading up to Avengers Endgame. And, you know, when when Infinity War came out, the ending when most of the Avengers turned to dust, I remember going opening night and the theater was just quiet. There was no applause, no nothing, because the villain had won. And people were shocked by that, which made the anticipation for Endgame even bigger. You know, how do you top Infinity War? Well, they topped it by becoming the highest grossing movie of all time. The thing with with this movie, what impressed me the most about it was that, hang on, I've got, actually got a, oh, never mind, I'll answer that later. But, um... Yeah, the the build up to this movie was just was just insane. And what impressed me the most about it, it was a three hour movie. And I think we can all agree that it needed to be three hours to wrap up a story on this scale. But the thing that the thing that impressed me the most is that every scene and every beat of this movie mattered. And that's impressive for a three-hour movie. Like, I, I would not have cut anything out because it really... It, it built up to the climax of the movie. And that's just incredible, in my opinion. Um, the ending was, was heartbreaking, but I think story-wise, it was the right way to go. You know, it, it started with Iron Man and it ended with Iron Man. And I don't know where the MCU goes from here. You know, I don't even know if they can top what they've done. But I, I will say a couple of highlights from this movie. And the two that happened were when Falcon says, on your left, Captain America turns around and the circles come up and all the deceased Avengers who have been wiped out by Thanos come out with Black Panther, Spider-Man, the Guardians... And then you just the whole build up to the two sides going to war with each other, and then Captain America yelling "Avengers assemble." The other one, and this is kind of a just a funny story at my expense, and I don't know if I'm going to get cut off from Facebook from saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. The scene when Captain America calls for Thor's hammer and grabs it, I actually yelled, "Oh shit!" 
in the theater because I was like, oh, wait, I forgot he can do that. I can't imagine what it should have been like for opening night, but, you know, it, it was it was incredible to see. It, it was just an incredible undertaking of filmmaking, and I, I think the Russo brothers... I would love to see them tackle a DC movie. Like, I think they could make an incredible Superman movie because they took Captain America, kept his core essence, and still made it relevant for today's audience. And I think they could really do that with Superman. Uh, see, Anna, I assume, is talking about the, the Adam Sandler comment from earlier, my level of petty, and then Jeff Childers, and Star Wars lost that where Marvel perfected it. I would agree with that, but my, my knock on the new Star Wars trilogy is they didn't have a clear story from start to finish. It felt like they made the first movie to get something out there. Then they were like, okay, well, we'll take on that, we'll build on it, and we'll make another movie. And then that happened, people didn't like it, and they thought, oh, well, how are we going to fix that? You know, I, I I have my qualms with the newer Star Wars movies. I still enjoy all of them because, you know, I, I'm a Star Wars fan. I enjoy pretty much all Star Wars content except for that god-awful holiday special that I watched on Christmas Day for the first time. But we won't talk about that. Let's see. Um, yeah, I think that's really all I have to say about Endgame. It was a great cinematic achievement and one of the best movies of the entire year. Surprisingly, a lot of people thought that might be my number one or number two, but it is not. Here is my number three, and this one was actually quite surprising. Cigarette? Oh, no thanks, I don't smoke. Let me give you some really good advice. Be the rabbit. The humble bunny can outwit all of his enemies. He's brave and sneaky and strong. Be the rabbit. My number three is Jojo Rabbit, directed by Taika Waititi, who actually plays a satirical version of Adolf Hitler. So this movie it takes place during World War II, and it's based around a kid named Jojo, who is, and it's weird saying this still, but he's a Nazi fanatic. He grew up loving the Nazis, idolizing Adolf Hitler. And Hitler is his imaginary friend. Now, the thing to remember about this, and, and a lot of people think it's just an over-the-top interpretation or almost like a parody of Hitler, but it's a 10-year-old kid's version of what he thinks Adolf Hitler is. And throughout the movie, and I, I won't completely give away spoilers because people should still really watch this movie because it's, it's an absolutely wonderful movie. It's a story of growing up and realizing the error of your ways. Because throughout the movie, JoJo's stance on things change. And through that, his relationship with the imaginary Hitler has changed. But it has you know, some great acting. I can't remember the kid's name who played JoJo, but he was absolutely fantastic. And Scarlett Johansson, Sam Rockwell, as I said, Taito Waititi plays Adolf Hitler. Acting is incredible. The visuals are great. It's a very bright and colorful movie. The child actors are great. I recommend everybody should watch this movie. It is really, really good. So I guess now we'll move on to... We're, we're in the top two. We're actually almost done, and I've been going, well, almost 40 minutes. 
So here is my number two. I ain't gonna hurt her. I just want her to play the fiddle. Line, go, go, go fetch her and tell her what? Go fetch her and tell her I'll give her a fat five dollar gold right, piece. Right, right. Go play. fetch her and tell her I'll give her a fat, fat five, fat five dollar gold piece. She play her little chili pepper heart out. Right. right. Got it. My number two is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, directed by Quentin Tarantino, his ninth film to be exact. I heard a lot about this movie when it came out earlier in 2019, and unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to see it in theaters. And I kind of regret that because I finally watched it uh, a few days ago. Kind of in the same vein of The Irishman, it was a little too long, especially the last 30 to 45 minutes really were dragging. If you cut 45 minutes to an hour off of this movie, it would be near perfect. But it's still a very, very enjoyable movie. The, the acting is absolutely phenomenal by Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. Uh, Brad Pitt, I think, has a decent chance to win Best Supporting Actor. He plays a stuntman named Cliff Booth, who I'm actually kind of modeling my style after uh, tonight. I actually posted a poll on Twitter. Should I wear, should I go Tony Stark and go uh, blazer and t-shirt, or do I go Hawaiian shirt? And most people voted Hawaiian shirt, so... Found this shirt for like $15 the other day, so I had to get it. Um, but no, the, the acting and writing is just extremely good. Um, the set design is absolutely incredible. This takes place in 1960s Hollywood. So seeing that environment, and especially after going to Los Angeles a couple of years ago, it seems like some of those buildings are still around after all this time. And seeing it, you know, it, it's heyday in a different time in Hollywood and in the land of motion pictures. It was really, really cool. And I think this has a very good chance at winning Best Picture. And I, I actually, I will go ahead and predict it right now. I think it is going to win Best Picture. Because as we all know, Hollywood loves them some Hollywood. But great movie. You know, really near perfect minus the, the time length. So you're probably wondering, I've listed off Star Wars, I've listed off Avengers, I've listed Joker, but they're not my number one. So what could my number one be? And for those who have, who are in the know, you know, clearly you know this because I've told a lot of people that I really like this movie. But this came out of nowhere and became my favorite movie of 2019. Mr. Blanc, I know who you are. I read your profile in The New Yorker. I found it delightful. I just buried my 85-year-old father who committed suicide. Why are you here? I'm here at the behest of a client. Who? I cannot say, but let me assure you this. My presence will be ornamental. You will find me a respectful, quiet, passive observer of the truth. My number one is Knives Out, written and directed by Ryan Johnson. So this movie, I didn't know that much about it going into the movie. And I really went to see it almost by pure chance. 
because I had seen a couple of commercials for it, and, and it looked like a fun movie. It reminded me of Clue, uh, which is you know a, a really great movie. Uh, let's see. Um, Josh Marshall and Josh Shinnewerk. Uh, I apologize if I'm butchering your name, uh, but they have joined. Jeff Childers says Toy Story 4. Toy Story 4 was a phenomenal movie. I, I, I got teary-eyed at the end of that movie. And Josh says Knives Out was a great movie. Um, so essentially, how I came to see this movie was by pure happenstance because I saw a couple of commercials. I knew it had a good cast. I knew Daniel Craig was in it, Jamie Lee Curtis. But I didn't really have a huge desire to see it. And then the week before Thanksgiving, they were doing an early access screening of it. And I didn't have anything going on that night. So I was like, you know what? I feel like seeing a movie. I'll go see Knives Out. So, And, and there's a cool story as far as the theater experience that happened. So I get to the theater I, you know, show my ticket and everything and they say, oh, you know, feel free to grab a poster if you want. And to the left, they had this huge stack of posters. So I grabbed one. It's like, oh, you know, they used to do giveaways there all the time. But for some reason, when they became AMC, they stopped doing them. Go in the theater. It's in one of the smaller rooms. And before they start the previews, the manager comes in and says, hey, just so you guys know, if you check the back of your poster, if you grabbed one, there's a special sticker on the back that says who done it. If you have that, then you win a prize. So come see me after the movie's over. So I turned the poster around and I had the winning one. So I won a free movie pass, a free medium popcorn and a fountain drink, which I rarely, if ever win stuff like that. So that, that alone in itself was kind of cool. And then after the previews happened, they showed a video from Ryan Johnson saying, hey, check your, the back of your poster, and if you have a sticker on it, go to guest services and you win a prize. That would have been a much cooler way than just the manager coming in, but that's neither here nor there. I really liked the movie the first time I saw it, and then a week later, I went to see it again, and I just fell in love with it. Uh, let's see. Um, Anna says, where's my home or where's little women? I actually have not seen that movie yet. Um, I've been meaning to see it, but unfortunately, um, I have not yet. Let's see. J uh, Donna Kirby and Jason Robbins, who Jason Robbins is my co-host on the Nerd Cave Retro Show. So if you're into retro gaming, check us out. Um, if you're listening to the live recording tomorrow night at 7.30 p.m., twitch.tv slash jfunktastic. But the second time I watched Knives Out, I absolutely fell in love with it. It reminded me of why I fell in love with movies in the first place. It looks great. It tells a great story. It's got great cast. And you can tell that the cast just had a ball making this movie. And that really, really rubbed off on me uh donna says we did meet an actual murderer tonight jeff don't mess uh yeah that that actually did uh happen from from what i heard i i was i was in the room where it happened but i wasn't in the area of the room where it happened so um yeah knives out you know and, and i'm i'm glad that um that this movie went over really well because it shows that Ryan Johnson actually is a good filmmaker because people trash on him because of the last Jedi. 
And I feel like he put a little bit of that in this movie because one of the characters is an internet troll, which I, I thought was great. But this movie is centered around um, the patriarch of this family, and I, I'm really going to try not to give away spoilers because th this is one that, you know, if you know what happens, there's no point in watching it because it's a whodunit. The patriarch of this, this huge successful family is found dead, allegedly committed suicide. So Benoit Blanc, this private investigator played by Daniel Craig, comes in to investigate the case. And I was shocked when I heard him talk for the first time because he talked with a uh, very thick country accent. So um, that kind of blew me away, but I'm not going to lie. I don't want him to talk any other way now. Like he, he sounds a little bit like Colonel Sanders, but um, it was actually humorous, but not over the top corny. And this movie takes that classic Agatha Christie whodunit story or template and just turns it completely upside down. And I love that. And the, the rumor is that this is actually going to become a franchise for Daniel Craig, which I think is great because No Time to Die, which comes out in a couple of months, is supposed to be his last Bond movie. I, I'm all for more murder mystery movies. As long as Daniel Craig's starring in them and Ryan Johnson is writing them, I have all the faith in the world. But I, I loved, I love this cast. I love this story. And I didn't even mention some of the other actors who were in it. Chris Evans is in it, and he is definitely not Captain America in this movie. He He's quite the opposite of that. But you have Tony Collette, and you have other great you know actors and actresses as well. Very well-rounded cast, the movie's not too long. It's not too short. Absolutely phenomenal movie. And I think it's still in theaters. At least I hope it is. Because I, I, I know I really want to see it again. But I, I know it's going to be one. And I don't really buy physical copies of uh, movies anymore. But this is one that I'm, I'm really looking forward to buying day one when it comes out. Uh, well, before I answer Donna's question, if you guys have any comments you want to throw in as far as some of your favorite movies from 2019 or anything that you just want to talk about in general, I'll, I'll go, you know, another uh, five minutes or so if you guys still have stuff that you'd like me to talk about. But Donna asked, what is your take on The Irishman? So Irishman was number nine on my list, and it's a really good movie, but it's too long. It should have been an hour shorter. And the, the de-aging of De Niro, Pesci, and Pacino was incredible. You know, the, the de-aging and everything has gotten... The technology has gotten really good. I, I There's supposed to be a movie, I can't remember the name of it, but it's supposed to have, I think, James Dean in it. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, essentially, they've resurrected him. Like That, I'm not... I'm not a fan of. If you want to de-age somebody to make them play a younger version of themselves, that's fine. But that was one of the issues with the Irishman is them doing that technology or using that technology just costs so much money. And that was why no studio wanted to buy it. And Netflix, of course, is like, oh, yeah, we'll play it. And they've actually got a, um, and I think it's like a sit-down conversation roundtable show with Scorsese, Pesci, Pacino and De Niro about the making of the movie. I haven't watched it yet, but I, I, I will do it 
um, at some point. But yeah, that is my um, that is my top ten list for 2019. This was, let's see, Donna says De Niro's blue eyes were off-putting though. Yeah, I I do agree with that as well. But that was my top ten list for 2019. Much harder than what I thought. Um, like I said at the beginning of the show, I hope to turn these live shows into a monthly thing. What I'm going to talk about, I have no idea. I might start doing you know, reviews live. I might have one person over. I might figure out a way to have four people on. I don't know where I'm going to set up the camera. But that is something to, to definitely take into consideration. But um, this was fun. This was really fun. Um, I really enjoyed doing the live shows. It kind of takes me back to, you know, a year and a half or even longer than that when I was doing them like every other week because I was struggling for content. Uh, Josh says, I think the James Dean movie is called Finding Jack. I do believe you're right. Um, yeah, that that's just... That's just a bit much, in my opinion. So thank you guys so much for this exclusive. Well, not exclusive, but thank you for tuning in for this special live show. And we'll see you guys next time. Happy to be joined with my very special guest, actress Stephanie Bloom. Stephanie, how are you tonight? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. No, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. I, I wanted to get started by asking, I've had this conversation you know, multiple times with different people who work in the film industry, is that everyone has their own unique path to where they are. Like No one has a traditional path to be an actor or director, cinematographer. So what was it that introduced you to the world of acting and what inspired you to want to do it? Uh, you know, I think I'm just one of those that just wanted always to do this. Uh, ever since I was very, very little, nine years old, I just remember going out for my first commercial and I just, I don't know, it's just something I always stuck with. Um, I, I haven't always steadily done this all my life, but I've always come back to it. And it's just, you know, one of those things, one of those passions, like it's just something I love. Was there a, a specific thing that you can remember that maybe sparked the initial interest? I, I love to perform. Um, I remember doing plays in school. Uh, I remember just seeing TV and just being like, I, I want to be on TV one day. And you know, you don't realize what goes on like behind the scenes or how, it, how much work it takes to get there. And I just, ever since I was a little girl, I just always wanted to be like a performer in some way. I actually envy you in that aspect because I, I, I didn't know that I wanted to do anything in film until, you know, a year into college. But I mean, that that's that's a very you know rare thing because a lot of people go through different interests and in what they want to do before they eventually choose something as a career. So I think to to know from a very early age what you wanted to do and then you went out and you've done it and are still doing it. You know, that that's that's a pretty awesome story. Oh, thanks. Yeah. You know, it's just one of those things where I feel like uh, some people you could just tell who do it as their job. And then some people you can just tell it's their passion, whether, you know, it's just I feel like even auditioning is is exciting and it's a part of work. It's not just a job to me, how it is for some others. And I can't I can't relate to the mindset of 
you know, being an actor, but I, at least how I would perspect it, you know, with my personality and everything, just even the thought of auditioning and putting yourself out there is, you know, it's inspiring to me when actors do that because it's something that, you know, I know that I don't have the ability to do, but just to put yourself out there and almost transform yourself into a different person, or it can be an exaggerated version of your real personality. It's, it's a really fascinating process acting is. It is. And it's just, I think you need a certain mindset for it and you have to just, I don't know, it kind of, it sounds bad, but always be prepared for the worst. You know, you're not, there's just so much rejection. What they say is true. It's just, uh, you know, it's not a very encouraging business to be in, <laughs> but for some reason we want to do it. I don't know. I don't know exactly what it is, but I feel like it's just, it's something you have to want to do and not have to do. So I, I definitely feel like there's, you know, two types. Well, it's almost like a drug in a way that when you do it once, you don't want to do anything else because it just gives you that, that feeling that you don't get from anything else. Right. It gives you a high. Like It's just such an excitement when you actually book that job that you wanted or, you know, it's just such a, I guess, downer in a way when you don't book that job and it just either motivates you to keep going or, you know, some people get caught up in the struggle. So I just it's it is it's a hard profession to be in. But I think whenever you do get, you know, the acting gig or if it's someone who's wanting to be a cinematographer, if they get to be on a set or even, you know, being on your first set it makes all the rejections worth it because it makes the successes mean that much more. Absolutely. I feel the same. You know, it's just, you appreciate it more, I think. <laughs> and you're right. There's just so much rejection behind it. And you do book. It's like, I don't know. You almost feel like you won the lottery. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's a nice feeling. No, that that's actually a very good comparison. You had mentioned <laughs> you had mentioned doing your first commercial. Is that how you broke into the entertainment industry? Was doing commercials? Yeah, you know, um, at such a young age, and and I didn't grow up with anyone in my family in the business. I kind of just started it myself. Um, I kind of didn't know where to begin, and neither did my mom, because you know we used to have to travel into Manhattan an hour each way and go to each audition. It's not like now where everything's electronic and you could just email or you actually had to just show your face every single time. And that's kind of how I just um, started off when you don't have any experience. You just go into commercials and print and you just kind of evolve from there. And that's exactly what I've done. I've just, as I've gotten older, it's been more involved in, you know, TV and, and movies. And I don't know, I'm at, I'm at a good place where I just, I love, I love films and I love doing them. And I love, um, I mean, I love the commercial work, but I just love also being on set for more than a day. <laughs> you know, I'm like sometimes when you book those commercials, you're only doing work for one day and you're like, oh, that was nice, but <laughs> it's over. <laughs> so film, you get to actually get to know people. You get to become a character. You, you know, you get to be somebody else and the same for TV too. So as I've gotten older, it's just been more in depth with, you know, what I was originally interested in. When you mentioning the hours that you spend on set, they're very long hours, but, and I, I have this conversation with you know, almost everyone who works in the film and TV industry is that when you all band together, whether it's a crew of, you know, six or seven people or a huge crew, you almost become like a family 
in a way because you're almost forced to bond with each other, but just because of the sheer amount of time that you spend with each other. Oh, absolutely. I, and you're lucky too. You're lucky if you get to make relationships with some people because you don't get that on every project you work on. And when I did the movie 2050, I actually can honestly say that I am friends with everybody I've worked with, even people I didn't work with because, you know, my scenes were very selective. So I just worked with one person pretty much the whole time. But as I like over the years, I have gotten to know the cast and I can't say that about many other projects I've done. Sometimes you just work with people and it's, you know, hi, bye. Thank you for your time. And, you know, I'll see you around because this is, you know, a small business, even though it's a huge industry. But I can say that this is one of the very, very few projects that I've actually built relationships with the, with the cast and the crew. That's the sign of a good set when you get to know almost everyone and keep in touch with them. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it, it carries over onto screen too. I, I, I really believe that. Like you could kind of tell when someone has chemistry on screen or, you know, if you could just tell that there's some sort of relationship and it's just, I don't know. I feel like, as an actor, even just watching other films and other people's work, you could you could kind of you could pinpoint that out. Well, that's a great point, too, because when you're watching a film, especially if you've worked in it to some extent, you can tell when there's good effort and the cast and crew are having fun. And I'll use the film Knives Out as an example. You know, really great cast with Daniel Craig, Jamie Lee Curtis, among others. From the very beginning of the movie, you can tell that that cast had a ball together and it made the movie, you know, so much more enjoyable. So, I, so I, I think, you know, and plus with as long as you work on set for however many hours a day, you don't want to spend it being miserable. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that, that wouldn't be fun, I would assume. Um, but. You know, I mean, I, I'm like really lucky in that aspect where this film that just released, I, I, I'm like still to this day. And it's been, you know, a couple of years where, you know, films don't just start at one point and then finish quickly and you go to promotion. It's it, it takes years, months. And I mean, where I, I'm I've built such a close relationship with these people. I just and I, I hope to work with them again. That's I think the great thing too is that you always try to find ways to work with someone you like again. No, and I, I totally agree with that. You know, I, back in the end of 2018, I did my first short and the cast were like, oh, when are we gonna make the sequel? And, <laughs> and to me I took that as, you know, a huge compliment because they all loved working with each other. And we had a very small crew, but we all bonded together and they, they, they asked me every now and then, like, so have you written the script for the sequel yet? No, no, not, <laughs> not yet. So, and that's, that's a great compliment. It really is. No, definitely. It definitely is. Uh, before we get into your latest film, 2050, which was just released on a DVD and streaming services, how is it you know, you're, you're doing commercials, you're getting your foot in the door. How do you then transition from how did you transition from doing commercials into getting into film and TV? Well, I think it all goes back to um, you kind of you kind of take what's thrown at you. You audition and audition and audition. And I, I'm I'm just going to say personally, if your schedule allows for it, then I went for it. Um, it's not that I stick with one particular 
area. I just kind of, if it fits in the schedule and I could work it out, that's what I'm going to do. Um, if I was filming and I had an off day and I booked a commercial, I would absolutely do that. Um, I, I just think it's, you know, my mentality is I just, I love to work. And if I'm not working, then I'm training. And, and if I'm not training, then I'm, you know, trying to pick up on other people's, um, aspects of it. I just, it's just something that interests me. And I feel like the best training of all, whether you're doing private coaching or classes is just getting out there and working. So if you're not working on a film one day and you're doing a commercial, you definitely learn something new. Um, I just feel like it just makes you, uh, it keeps you fresh. It just keeps you evolving. Well, it's like a saying I heard when I started my uh, production classes in college the, one of the top rules to being a filmmaker, an actor, whatever the profession may be, if you want to be an actor, you act. If you want to direct, you direct. So it, the fact that you are constantly thinking about it, whether it's actually doing it or if you're not doing it, you're thinking of ways to do it and how you can get better at it. You know, that, that's a, that shows a great work ethic and a really great mentality. So that that's great. Yeah, I just, I mean, it's it's just doing something I love and, and I want to, like you said, keep getting better at it. And I want to, you know, stay fresh and I want to be able to, when I get those long scripts, be able to memorize them quick. I feel like you have to just keep working at it. Um, you know, even if you're working your nine to five, you, you on your off days, your are your off days, but you know, you don't become better by not working. So <laughs> I feel like just because I don't have a set time or I'm not, you know, scheduled to be on set for something. I, I always feel like, okay, um, who can I train with or what can I do to, you know, if, if memorizing is my thing I need to work on, or if a certain like, um, category, like, you know, I struggled with comedy for a little bit for a while. So I did some training in that. Like, I always just feel like you have to sharpen other areas that, you know, you don't necessarily have a boss telling you what to do. So you kind of have to be your own. No, exactly. And sometimes it can be tough to be your own motivator because people at their core can be very complacent. But, you know, you, you seem to be fighting that. And I, I just had this funny visual of someone, you know, who wants to be an actor just on their lunch break, just going into a cubicle or some side office and just reading a script for an hour. Yeah, I mean, that I mean, that's what I feel like a lot of my actor friends are like, they just, you know, whether, whether they're waiting tables, or they have, you know, their, their real job, it's, it's, if it's something they're passionate about, they're definitely working on the side, or I've met actors where they're like, yeah, I had to call into work to do this today. And I'm like, wow, I'm like, that's just, I don't know, that's so inspiring to me, where it's like, you just find ways to do things you love. And I don't know, it, it kind of all works out, I believe. And I, I would agree with that. But let's talk about your latest film, 2050. How did you initially hear about it and how did you get involved? Uh, I just remember seeing the um, casting for it. Um, I I don't know. I think it had a, it had a few character breakdowns and I, I was reading through it and I just remember seeing Sophia and I was like, wow, this is interesting. I, I definitely want to be a part of this. I'm like, I wonder if I'll get a call. And when I did get a call to come in, and I, I believe it was the scene um, where I first meet um, Michael, who is played by David Vaughn. And I don't want to like give anything away, but it's a very, um, 
it's a sexy scene. It's uh yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a very forward, you know, uh, it's more like of a dominating scene. And I just remember reading it was only like two pages of it at the time, but I was like, wow. I'm like, I I I could do this. <laughs> I'm like, I I want to see if I could get this. I want to be Sophia. Um, you know, sometimes when you go to auditions, you're reading for other characters and you know, uh, it's kind of just, oh, yeah, you got the look for this, but let's try you with this. I was called in for Sophia. I wanted to be Sophia. I knew of other characters, but I was just like, no, I want to be Sophia. And when when I was told I got the job, I was like, oh, my gosh. I just, I automatically was like, okay, what do I have to do? Do I have to talk like a robot? Do I have to do this for a robot? And it was completely not what you would think it would be. It was um, very human-like robots in the movie without giving too much away. But it was... um it was just something I really, it was one of those lucky moments where I was talking about almost winning the lottery before it was, you know, when you get the role that you want, it's like such a thrill. It's such excitement. And I I was ready to film. I was like, okay, I got this. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. No, and, and funny thing is I was actually looking on um, Amazon prime uh, earlier today before I went into work and it was, you know, right there on things to watch was, uh, 2050, which I believe that's you on the, the poster, isn't it? It is, yes. What was your reaction when you, you found out you were going to get to be on the poster? Because that, that's a big deal, because posters are very important when it comes to marketing. I, You know, I still get giddy to this day. I do, I do. <laughs> Whether When I see posts come up, when I see, I don't know, anything online, I, I just... I still get that like happy, giddy feeling. And I remember Princeton, who was the director of the movie... He was just so cool about it. He was just like, you know, so nonchalant. He's like, listen, um, we're going to do some pictures. He's like, uh, I, we're going to get a red wig and a red dress. He like had it all planned out. And he's like, we're going to have a photo shoot. You know, I was just, it was just so like nonchalant. I was like, okay, okay. And then when we were shooting, he's like, this is going to be the poster for the movie. And I was just like, uh, I, I don't know. I just got emotional. It was, I don't know. And then when I actually saw the picture for the first time, I would just, I probably cried. I'm not even going to lie. I probably did. Cause I was just like, this is so cool. <laughs> no, definitely. Cause you know, I just, it was a good feeling. Well, yeah. Cause like I said, posters, you know, you, you think of the number one piece of marketing is, is movie posters. You know, you go to a theater, you see a bunch of posters that talk about upcoming movies. So to to be featured on it, you know, that's that's a huge deal. That that's that's I, really really cool. And, and I'm still so grateful to this day. <laughs> I just like I said, I see it pop up on anything, and I'm just like, wow, that's me. <laughs> I might have a red wig on, but I'm like, that is me. <laughs> <laughs> and the cool thing is, it seems like you know the film's been getting a lot of of great reception because I you know, I follow you on Instagram and I've saw your stories of people sending you kind remarks and everything. So um, how has your reaction been to the reception of the film, even though, you know, as of this recording, it's very, very young in its release? I, you know what? I feel like whether someone doesn't like it or not, someone has something to say, like, about the storyline it's just so different it's just not what you see in your typical sci-fi movie and you're right i've been trying to i've been getting so many messages so much feedback i've been trying to repost it only the pg versions by the way <laughs> <laughs> because i feel like everybody's reaction is 
where's my e-mate? Where can I get one? And I just, I'm sitting back laughing. I'm like, this is, this is genius. This is great. I'm like, I, I mean, Brian Ackerley, the, the writer for the movie, I cannot believe like what buzz he's created. And, and here we are when you're filming and when you're doing the project, you're like, okay, okay. You, you just don't know where it's going to go. And I feel like a lot of people don't want to admit it, but they want their own sex bot, you know? <laughs> so I feel like that's the huge buzz around the movie. It's just, it's not your typical sci-fi movie. And it, it just, whether, like I said, whether you like it or not, it just leaves you thinking. It just leaves you wondering like, okay, this, this could happen, but all right. <laughs> no, exactly. You know, I, I remember reading the plot of the movie and my first thought was, I could see this actually happening at some point. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I could see, you know, 30 years from now, technology will be advanced enough to where, you know, we'll, we'll be at that point. So it's, to me, the best sci-fi films are ones that make you think this could actually happen in reality. So that, that, that creates a lot of great buzz. Yeah. And, and like I said, even if, you know, even if it's not your thing and you're just like, okay, yep. 2050, we'll see if this happens. I, I really think that it, it just, it's not one of those movies where you either walk out of or you turn it off and you're like, okay, you're, you're just left thinking about it. You're just, you're like, it, it brings up conversation that you didn't think you would have. And, <laughs> and when you do have that conversation, I bet you someone is going to turn around and say, I want an e-mate, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I think it's just genius. I think it's so great and it's so creative and I, it's just places I I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with people with, with creative people, with minds that just bring you places that you never thought you would go. And this is one of them. And then you think, man, I wish I had thought of that. I know, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, this is genius. <laughs> no, exactly. So as we start to wrap up here, uh, what's next for you? Uh, do you have any other upcoming projects in the works that you can talk about? Anything like that? Um, I actually just wrapped um, the first season of a pilot that I was working on. And I believe there's a lot of like daytime Emmy buzz around it. And I'm like, oh, this is exciting. It's called Little Cupid, um, directed by Candace Kane. And it's just, you know, it's the complete opposite of what <laughs> the character I played in 2050 was. It's more of like a family show. And um, it's just it's dealing with ghosts and, and memories of someone in the army. And it's just it's a beautiful story that you could just, you know, it's kind of like your hallmark um, kind of movie channel um right. show so um that i just wrapped on and i'm just you know in the meantime just doing commercials and other pilots um i did another show um called entitled that was another pilot that just wrapped and um i'm just waiting for those to come out that's great it sounds like you're constantly staying busy I'm trying to <laughs> <laughs> And you, through this conversation, I think a lot of people who aspire to be an actor or work in the film industry can, can take some good advice from it. But if you had to give one piece of advice to an aspiring actor, what would it be? Uh, I would just keep I would get your face out there. Um, if one door closes, go for the for the other. I know it sounds cheesy. I know it's been said before, but it's true. That's why people say it. I just. Uh, I can't tell you how many agencies, how many jobs, how many casting directors have just, you know, automatically tossed my headshot to the side. You just got to keep going and, and, you know, don't don't rely on your agent sometimes. Get out there and get the work for yourself. And 
I, I kind of you got to hustle. <laughs> no, that's that's perfect advice. And last thing I'll ask you before I let you go, uh, do you have any website or social media that you'd like to plug so the listeners can follow you? Uh, I'm always updating, um, you know, my plans and my work on Instagram, Stephanie Bloom. Um, I have a website, stephaniebloom.com. I actually put a lot of my work on there. Um, And yeah, I'm on Twitter also, Bloom Stephanie and Facebook. So I'm constantly updating those things. Fantastic. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for taking the time to do the interview and good luck with your continued career. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me. Thanks again to Stephanie Bloom for coming on the show. Be sure to follow her on social media to find out what she'll be up to next and check out 2050, which is available now on Blu-ray DVD, as well as Amazon and some other streaming services as well. And thank you so much to everyone who joined me for the live show this past week. It was a lot of fun getting to do that again, and I do think I'm going to make that a monthly thing. I'm not sure what the topics are going to be yet. They're going to vary depending on what's going on at the time, but it was a lot of fun. It, it felt it felt really good to be doing that again, and I, I love the social interaction and just the engagement and conversation that that generates, so uh, definitely be looking forward to doing that again very soon. For next week's show, I'm going to be reviewing the pilot episode of Star Trek Picard. The Next Generation was one of my favorite shows growing up. I have so many great sentimental memories watching that with my grandma. That's going to be premiering on CBS All Access this week. I'm not sure who I'm going to have on the show yet to review the episode, but I will have someone. And I'll also be chatting with documentary filmmaker Nathan Foff, so... A lot of fun stuff to look forward to on next week's show. But until then, you can check out past episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. You can also follow me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast. And of course, thank you to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. You can check out their latest albums on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. You can follow them on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the Unicorn Wranglers. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you once again to Stephanie Bloom and to everyone who came out for the live show. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday. (laughs) 